0: Welcome to Behind The Resume, the podcast that takes you through the stories of the people most likely to read your CV. I'm Nick Greenston, the CEO of the recruitment outsourcing company RTS People. I wanted to share the journeys of industry leaders to take us through the twists and turns of rising through the ranks. We also want to talk about the biggest trends and challenges they are seeing in recruitment, how their experience is helping them manage these, and their career-defining moments that keep them coming back every day. We're here to get to know the people that hire people. Today, I'm speaking to Kim Blue, the ex-Global Head of People at Zoom and a leading consultant on organisational development and people strategy. We talk about the need for HR professionals to be at the table when it comes to building a successful business strategy, why organisations have to shift from workforce planning to skill force planning, and why digital transformation needs to be a top agenda for any leader in the HR space. This is such a great conversation with someone who truly understands the role people play in business success. Let's get to it. Okay, so, so Kim, thank you so much for um, coming on to this podcast. Um, you've got an amazing background, you work for some incredible companies, whether it was ESPN, Microsoft, some tech, fintech companies. Can you just share with us a little bit about yourself? Talk me through your background, talk me through your journey.
1: Absolutely. And thank you for having me. So I have a very unique background. And what I mean by that is I didn't come into HR directly. I actually had a not what I would call a non-traditional path into HR. My first career was in corporate health and wellness at ESPN. And after completing my internship there, part of that was learning about just the company overall and the health and wellness function actually reported into HR. So when they invited me back to join full-time, part of my development was to get more exposure to my colleagues. And as I was doing that and learning about the different HR functions, I realized two things. One, I had a ton of transferable skills. And two, I um, built relationships really easily, which are all things you need to be able to be a successful HR professional. So that's how I actually moved into HR. I took an HR business partner role after five years in my wellness role and just grew up from there and spent a ton of time making my way around ESPN and supporting different parts of the business. Um, Went to grad school during that time and decided that I wanted to just really get deep into more of what I was doing every day so I'm what's called a practitioner scholar that means I went to work and then I went back and got my education and my master's degree is in um organizational development and so at the time Microsoft was looking for HR business partners or HR professionals who brought that skill set to the table so it could not have been a better alignment so I said yes to that opportunity and jumped across the country and lived in the Pacific Northwest for about a year and a half. And that was right at the start of the pandemic when um, I took on a project or an initiative that brought me to Atlanta where I currently live. And during the pandemic, everything was so up in the air. And I had done some really interesting and exciting work. And it just so happened that Zoom was looking for someone to lead their HR business partner team. It was a new role. It was actually, the whole team was reporting into the... um, Chief Human Resources Officer for Zoom. And she was like, you know, we're growing, obviously, Um, we need more help. And so I stepped into that role and helped shape what that team looks like then to provide support and expertise and just, you know, really good HR infrastructure to them. And I worked with them for a year. And then a former colleague from ESPN said, hey, my company is looking for a Chief People Officer. Will you come and uh, give it some consideration. And I actually at first said, I don't know, you know, I'm happy at Zoom. And then she wrote me back and said, listen, I just want them to see what good HR looks like so that we've at least got a bit of a bar to set, which was a very, <laughs> a very nice compliment. Um, and the conversations led to them saying, we'd love for you to come join us. And so, did that work. And then subsequently the market was what it was. And then I ended up exiting the company. Um, And it was probably one of the greatest learning experiences that I had. And now I run my own shop. And it is, if you did ask me when I started my HR career in 2011, if I'd have thought I'd be here just over 10 years later, I would have never said that. So to even say all that out loud sounds, it sounds crazy to hear it, but here I am.
0: Well, congratulations on your journey. I think working for Zoom during the start of the pandemic must have been really interesting. I bet even Zoom themselves didn't anticipate what was going to happen in, right in front of their very eyes for their their actual business model. The whole world was going to be using Zoom or or Teams or other variations yes. of, of that yes. tech.
1: It was such an interesting time because the first of all, the shift happened so quickly, I mean, virtually overnight. And it's that seems like a cliche, but not for Zoom. Zoom was very comfortable in the way they were connected. They were, you know, a a dedicated B2B, you know, you know, offering. And literally, what I tell people is I came into Zoom, I joined Zoom in October of 2020. So we were six months into this pandemic, everybody was still figuring things out. And Zoom's, you know, mission was to keep the planet connected. I mean, that's literally what everything was happening. And the bucket, the verticals that they had, the business verticals, which were government, healthcare, education, um, and one more, right? But like, that was it. That's where everything was sitting. And so the growth that happened, the, the rate that the technology was evolving, but in particular, where we were finding the talent to come in and do everything that we were doing and how are we helping leaders be equipped and educated to go articulate what they need and then go find it in the market during such a such a delicate time in the world. So, I it was probably the most difficult role I have had in my career, and I would not change anything about it whatsoever. But it was amazing to be there with all of my colleagues and to just see the impact every day that Zoom was having on the world.
0: Um, Kim, you mentioned um, talent just before. You know, what, what, what is it about the talent space that keeps you Getting up every day, going to work.
1: Yep. People bring themselves to work, their lived experiences, their knowledge, their um <clears throat> their passion. That's what gets me out of bed every day. When I know that I can have a conversation with someone and I can learn something, that I can advance my knowledge or get to a place where I'm now imparting something on someone, but they're also saying, I want to help you. Let me show you how to do this. Let me let me increase your your knowledge, your bandwidth. I think talent is what helps us tell the story of not only what we wanna do, but why we want to do it. Why is our product amazing? Why is our culture amazing? That's also why people want to come to work. They wanna be a part of something. A lot of what's in our conversation right now is related to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And so that word belonging is really connected to talent can I go find my tribe inside of a workspace where the work that I do, the people that I'm around and the, the products that I'm producing or the impact that I'm having is meaningful to me. And so when you think about talent, it's a little bit of a bifurcation. Yes, I get to do all those things and I get to bring my expertise to a place that is going to value it um, and is going to see the benefits of what it is that I'm doing. So I, I think the talent landscape, is always evolving but it is never dull and it's always interesting and the more we learn about who we are and the the faster that the world figures out who it is the talent is what's going to keep everything very unique and connected all at the same time
0: right you know how the success of an organization the success of their shareholder value it's and this is very much in, in the space that you're in at the moment. You know, you, you align an organization's people strategy with their business goals um and their values, and yes. if you get it right, an organization will do very well. If yes. you get it wrong, there's there, there, there's problems.
1: There is there are so many challenges. So you just laid out the blueprint: people strategy plus plus business prioritizations equals organizational strategy. Yeah. For so long. They've been two separate things. And one of the things that I coach on, and maybe i'll I'll write about this one day is really like the right, what's the value proposition behind an org strategy? Because your people' strategy should have a high focus on talent. Where are we going to get unique talent? How are we describing what it is that we need, what it is that we do, and what it is that you bring will fit here? Then once you bring that talent in, you have to remember that they're the ones that are going to be executing these business goals and priorities. So when you go to tell the story to investors, to shareholders, to whomever is there, sort of monitoring your bottom line, it all comes back to the people. If they feel like they can bring value and are going to see the benefits of that, then it's going to make it easier for them to say yes to whatever your organization is. But they have to see themselves in that. That's that belonging piece. And I think sometimes that can get hidden underneath Right, the elevation of business goals and priorities, and quarterly earnings, and all of those things—you you have to tell the whole story. It's not just one-sided, and I think that that's where you start to have challenges when, um, when right when you don't get that
0: recipe right. Toby, do you have an inspiration? Oh my goodness, so in many the industry,
1: <laughs> so many. Yeah. You know, this, the the nice part about this work is that inspiration comes in different aspects of yeah. hr so um i would i would probably you know name a few people um just very quickly but um one of them is a woman named um sharika ekpo she it was the chief diversity officer for anaplan um she too is now um in an independent fractional um, HR leader space like I am. And I've just been able, I spent the last sort of two years of my career really getting to know her and just watching her have tremendous impact um, in bringing both the inclusion lens, but also the people's strategy lens to the table. And in some industries where it is tough to break through, right, financial services is very consistent in how their how their culture evolves. And her voice is very um, well-respected and well-regarded. And in the, in the work, the industry colleagues Work that I've been able to do with her, I've just really seen her, you know, shine and really push leaders to say we can do more, we can do greater, be accountable to these things. So she is one person. Um, when I was at Zoom, um, both my my then CHRO um, <clears throat> Lynn and Damian Hooper Campbell, who was the um, Chief Diversity Officer for Zoom, he's now the Chief Diversity Officer for um, another company. Both of them had very strong voices in the industry. And um, we're very much an advocate for saying talent has to be a part of our conversation, but also instilling in us, these are the leadership values that you need to bring to the table when you have these conversations. And this is why it is so important, right? Our our, our shared friend, Yamaris, right? Yamaris is one who is passionate, and she is not afraid to challenge and push back and and really ask, why? Why is this the way that we're doing this? How do we think about this differently? What's the impact going to be to our people? And why are we telling this story instead of another story? So, I mean, I could go on, but those are four people right there that I know who step into this work every day and who genuinely inspire me, right? They call me to hire. I'll just say yeah. it that way. So they make me want to make sure that I am being of credible, you know, chief people officer, because those are my industry colleagues. But when when they speak about me, I want them to be like, no, Kim is she is worth the salt that she tells you she is. But because I believe that they are, they spent their time imparting their wisdom on me and I, I don't want to let them down. I want us to represent collectively the work that we do in the industry that we um, we do it in. And and I just find a lot of value in the way that they all lead um, and and just who they are as people, right? I've gotten to cool. know each of them outside of the profession, and they're they're good people.
0: Looking at your experience, uh, I'm sure well, you, you you you're going to have to say you've had many successes. Um, because if you look at the progression of your career, um, what, what what's what, what, are, what are maybe the top one or two um, experiences or successes that you're most proud of?
1: Man, <clears throat> I think this is probably one of my favorite questions. Yeah. I think um, I would actually say one, and this may seem it, it may seem smaller on the scale of accomplishments. But when Microsoft reached out and said, we're actually looking for an HR professional who has your skill set. Yeah. That was a massive accomplishment because graduate school is not a small undertaking. It's a personal choice. It takes time away from family and other life. And it was very affirming for me to know that I had made a choice for my career and just for myself, that was gonna have tremendous benefit. So accepting the opportunity to go work for them, but them also saying, no, we want you here and bring all of that to the way you do the work. That was a huge successful moment. And again, it's not an actual tactile, I did this, this is the moving the needle on it, but just the recognition that they want to evolve their culture and their hiring in that way was really significant. I would also say um, I knew I always wanted to be a head of HR. I knew that when I was an intern at ESPN. And so getting to that space was fantastic because it allowed me to know that I could have influence at the highest level organizationally and talk to leaders and say, this is how I want you to consider your business priorities and the impact that it's going to have on there. So, And for me... Doing it as a you know as a woman of color, um, coming up in an industry where you do not see many of us right. I I did it in a fintech space, Um, and so that was a big accomplishment for me. And in the success in that, I sat in the seat, I had the influence, I was able to lead my team, even through the the variety of business changes that took place. So achieving that goal, I would say, was a success, but not because. It was about Kim because it was about the impact that I yeah. was going to be able to make. Right? That's the that's the whole ticket, right? To get into the seat so that you can have the impact.
0: Do you think, um, touching on the point of you being a woman of color, do you see things positively of changing over the last five years, ten years, two years? Where where where, where do you think the shift happens? The great you know, I, I'm seeing companies are respecting. The DEI uh, agenda more now, and, it, and it's for me the significant benefits on on revenues, on profit, on on thinking, on responsibility is mm. obvious. Yes, I, I, I think companies are seeing it with their eyes wide open at the moment. When do you think that change was? So from where you're sitting right now.
1: I think the change started happening. So I think it was always slowly happening behind the scenes, but it was a very yeah. quiet conversation. Yeah. Um, and I'd say maybe somewhere around 2013, 2014, it was very yeah. quietly happening in pockets among shared circles. And then the conversation became much more public in 2020, right? Because the the greater that the um, the social unrest became, because think about it, right? That social unrest, even though it is outside, it makes its way inside to companies. Yeah that talent that we're talking about they bring those feelings those emotions that reaction it all comes into the workplace yeah and so companies have an obligation to try to support and do something about that whatever that looks like and that's when the conversations started to become more public yeah and more intentional and i'd say over the last maybe <clears throat> i'd say over the last 3 or 4 years as the conversation around DE&I and belonging, right? Or justice or how, you know, pick your acronym, but has it become more prevalent? I think companies are still finding their comfort with, can we openly yeah. talk about it? Can we take a position? Are we ready to receive the backlash or the support? Um, and what is this going to, how is this going to impact our bottom line? At the same time, employees are saying, and potential talent are saying, we want to be connected with someone who is not afraid to um, use their voice, right? These new generations are really being vocal about it. And even the ones who are not in the workforce yet, right, are finding their voice and they're going to come into that. So, And I think even before that, the silent kind of battle cry was, I'm here, I'm capable, I know what I'm doing. And I want you to acknowledge that. And so how do I break into that space? Who do I need to talk to? Which is why um, the development of the talent once it's inside the, the workplace, right, is so critical because how long did someone not see Kim Blue until they saw Kim Blue?
0: Yeah. See, I think as well, um, what what companies, we could talk about this topic for hours. <laughs> yes. You know, there, there, there's diversity, diversity. Um, strategies from a, an attraction perspective and then you sell the dream but then actually once the um the diverse talent have started employment what are your your retention strategies you know you, you you talk the good game when you're trying to attract but actually what's the landing place like and I, and I i actually think there's a lot of work that needs to be done inside yes not just trying to get the right talent into the in, into the organisations. Companies thinking about things differently in one way, removing bias is another, is another thing that I think I've, I've seen a lot more over the last couple of years. Yes. Um, so you combine uh, a more mature and, and correct way a company should look at things and you combine that with removing the bias might have moved the dial slightly more aggressively over the last few years. But I agree with what you're saying. 2020 yes. probably was the, the watershed moment.
1: Bias is a big conversation, so I'm glad you brought that word up because it finds its way underlyingly into kind of everything we're doing and what we're moving away from, even just the acknowledgement of it.
0: Yeah, you know, and I've seen a lot of companies now actually. I know we're going off topic, but I've seen I've seen a lot of companies now that, that they're actually not looking at CVs. They're 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 not looking at experience. They're just looking at skills because actually the skills that they're looking for to an extent don't necessarily exist because of this big skills gap that's coming our way and happening and been happening. So if you're just looking at skills, removing bias is very easy actually, because you're only looking at output, right? Um, And you can do that in a very removing, well, you absolutely can remove bias because you can remove name. You can you can actually remove the human. You can just look at the output. But again, that's probably another for another, for another podcast. Definitely. <laughs> so so we're, talk, we're talking about um, we have spoke about some of your successes. Um, my favorite question because I, lo- I I I this is something I'm personally not scared of, and, and I try and make my team not scared of this because for me it's all in the recovery, making mistakes. So sometimes you cringe when you look back at some of the mistakes that you've made, but you can't grow without making a mistake. If you look back at your career, what are some of your greatest mistakes that actually made you the person you are today? Yes. So I, I am a person who
1: actually I don't spend a lot of time mulling in my mistakes. I yeah. used to when I was younger in my career. And now I'm like, OK, I know what I need to do next. So. Kim blue's greatest mistakes um yeah. one and this one is super personal and then I'll get into the professional one was um like taking on other people's pers- perspectives and fears about life in the world and then letting that hold me back and had I stopped had I not stopped doing that or surrendered that I, I would still be I would be in a completely different place I don't think I would be here at all because I would have yeah. been saying no just for reasons that were not my own. So those, those, and I have so many of those just from, you know, that's the lessons that you learn when you're younger. I would say professionally mistakes that I made, you know, not using my voice enough when I needed help, feeling like I had to have all of the answers. And, and while I may have had them not, leveraging the space that I have to say, but can someone correct me in this? Because I'm going to forge ahead in what I know to be right, only to get to the end. And then someone say, well, actually, Kim, it was X, Y, and Z. And, you know, why didn't you come to me and be saying, well, you know, you gave me the runway. I wanted to just take forward what I know instead of saying, great leaders, great people, great talent stop and go, I need the help. I need someone to check me and go, no Kim, pace yourself. Or no Kim, actually, there's something else that's that's really different. Um, I would also say, like, one really great mistake is um, that I have consistently made (laughs) in my career is getting into roles and not trusting my gut, not trusting my instinct. Now, this seems like what Kim is confident I am, I'm confident, I'm aware of my gifts. And at the same time, I can get very into my head, people talk about imposter syndrome, it's real. And it happens. And in every single role that I have taken, I have been hesitant to use my voice and to put myself out there in ways that have significantly meant that I have missed opportunities, potentially that I have not um, put myself in a position, right? When I was a CHRO, one of my responsibilities was to support one of the committees that the CEO um, ran, but I didn't have exposure to um, the board of directors, right? Which the people story is a part of the financial story. And I remember being very afraid to speak up and say, how, you know, when will I be able to have access to this. I think that there's value that I can add here. And instead, I shrank back and I played small and I had one small piece in the company's um, broader narrative. But behind the story, everything else was really related to the people. When this organization went through multiple rounds of layoffs, it was me that was designing and evolving the organizational strategy. But I didn't advocate to use my voice and say that's a part of the story that we need to tell when you also talk about the plan and the strategy for restructuring and rebuilding and what the what the future forward is going to look like and how we think about that so was it
0: because you were worried about showing weakness in case you were wrong or you didn't want to challenge authority what why no
1: I did not believe that I had enough business savvy to be a part of that conversation
0: confidence
1: it was competence completely. Yeah, I don't have any issues challenging authority because I can yeah. do so respectfully. And in my career, I have been fortunate enough to report to or work alongside a lot of men, and so I get that energy and understand how to navigate that. For me, this was strictly competence. Can what can my expertise stand up against a CFO, a COO, all of these people who have come from inside of this yeah. industry? years and years. And then here's me, who looks nothing, who sounds nothing, who does nothing like that. But I'm a unicorn. I understand yeah. the business and I understand people's strategy. And I can tell that story, but I did not, I was not confident in my competence. And that has happened to me in every single role. And it's been to my detriment only yeah. to think behind closed doors and someone say, Kim, why didn't you speak up that? Those are great points that you are raising. Here. So it's always been because I didn't feel like I was competent enough.
0: You didn't think you were good enough, which is which was wrong. And and that's probably why you often haven't gone with your gut in the Correct. past. Because you're worried <laughs> that what well, I might get it, I might get it wrong. Yes,
1: I might get it wrong. Yeah. And what then is the um what's the mark that's gonna be left on me? But then now how am I, you know. Impacting the confidence they might have in future HR leaders or other people who come behind me because it's not just a Kim Blue thing. It's now a we now this is the shared experience that everybody adopts. And am I setting the next person up for failure that's coming in behind me, even if they are brilliant, far more brilliant than me? So those were all things that I struggled with. And then and and then once it happened, I had opportunities to then step into the light and then I shined and leaders were like, and off you go right and they were like where was this six months ago I'm like well you know I, I just didn't know that I could really do that and I don't know if I was looking for support in a certain way or kind of that sign off in a certain way but what I now know is that I just need to walk in it and I wasn't
0: doing that bravery isn't it you found bravery yes yes You look at the If you look at the the landscape, the talent landscape, the HR landscape today, it's changing. We've got skills gaps. We've got macroeconomic problems. We've got wars. What, 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 what do you think that we've got working from home, not working from home, come back to the office? I don't want to come back to the office. Um, what, what, what do you think the biggest challenges are today facing us in, in, in the industry that we're working in today?
1: Yes. I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier around skills.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Because before, you know, workforce planning was, okay. how many headcount, how many people do we need to do this? And then assign budget, tell people to hire. That's it. Now, though, that hiring or the structure that we were doing that in very much is antiquated. It doesn't necessarily speak to what and who we're looking for. So now this movement from workforce planning to skill force planning, right? It's like looking at the pieces on the chessboard, right? Kings and pawns are the same until we start to now identify those competencies or the needed skills to do that. Now we know, oh, those are the competencies of a king. These are the competencies of a pawn, a rook or a knight, right? And then separate from a queen or whatever. Once you start to identify that we move away from true workforce planning into skill force planning, which is let's identify the skills that these roles needed, because a year ago, an account executive might have needed these skills. In a year later, the company's model may have changed. And now we need AEs to to diversify a little bit and have, you know, more skills you have to be able to to move with that. Now you can go source for an account executive or a BDR or whatever it is that you need based on the skills, which should give you access to a deeper talent pool. That's one. I think the other thing is companies are getting smarter about where they're going for talent before they were kind of going to their kind of same spaces and it was a lot more homogenous. This heterogeneous approach to saying, We're looking for skills and skills can come from anywhere. Yes, they can come from academia, but they can also come from industries that are not like ours, but that still do the same thing. I think companies are having to really evolve their thinking because they're so comfortable or they were so comfortable in the rhythms that they had set. And now it's like, if you need a software engineer, right? Unless you use Microsoft as an example, if Microsoft needs software engineers, but they've got a contingency of folks here in Atlanta, they can't go recruit software engineers from the Bay. That's gonna be much more difficult, but Home Depot employs software engineers and so does Coca-Cola and so do, the, right? So do the hospital systems that are here. So you need to now identify the profiles or the skills of the software engineer, and then say, if you need to know, you know, machine learning and artificial intelligence, and you need to know Java, Python and whatever these other languages are, and you need to be able to do this that's the profile okay now we can look at the talent analytics to go where are these skills local to me or you know ge- geographically yeah. you know proximate whatever that case may be. now we can go be intentional about that companies weren't doing that before so you have to start to really assess what are the talent analytics and what is the competitive landscape around me the more you do that the greater you're going to have and i think companies have just been you know, a little shy at stepping into that space because now it means a different type of investment. Now it means they have to face some of these biases that we were talking about earlier, or they have to invest in saying, I don't know enough about that space to be able to go and identify the talent,
0: right? They're having to face the music. They're using analytics that says, you know what? These skills don't exist. That's right. Which takes me on to what's the future look like? Because... (laughs) i i i i i I think that the world or organizations have a major problem coming their way because with the rise of ai that is accelerating the skills gap at a pace that i think there are some large organizations out there that will not be able to function they don't come up with a solution with this skills gap that's coming our way um do you think that's where we are going at the moment? That that that's the issue that we all have to that we're all having to face with. Where do you see see the the HR talent landscape in the future yeah. five years mm-hmm. from now?
1: It's a great question. I do think that you know sort of this war on talent that we talk about is going to start to get more crowded, meaning AI yeah. becomes a more consistent part of the conversation. I also think that talent assessment, succession planning, things that companies are saying. Man, we don't really need to do that, or we've got long tenured folks in there. I think those are going to become more critical yeah. because then it starts to under then it starts to get to the conversation of where is the AI needed and where do we need physical presence. It also is going to require an ongoing assessment of our skills, our competencies all related to the analytics, right? What is our business output? Where are we seeing success? And where now do we need something turnkey off the shelf? Where are we going to create something? Because the talent that's coming in or the talent that will come in in five years may be in a job that has not been created yet. And all of that is going to be based on how quickly the technology is moving, how much access we have to things. Things are changing, right? Everything we did one day before this pandemic started is not much of what we're doing now, right? The, the You look at job descriptions, you look at the way that we are requiring people to work and you're seeing way more hybrid when hybrid was a taboo thing before. And it was like, oh, you have a flexible work arrangement. Now it is that people are saying, I absolutely don't want to go into the office and we have to be okay with accepting that. So everything is becoming closer and closer and it's going to be harder to draw those lines or those distinctions between that. And it's going to cause Talent to really get savvy and saying, "Let me explain to you why my skills are better than the next person," and they're going to have to do it in this box that we're sitting in right here. You may never. When I worked at Zoom, I never met a single colleague (laughs) in person ever. I worked my entire tenure at Zoom over Zoom. I didn't meet a single person until after I was um, out of the organization.
0: It's amazing that that.
1: Um, that's very real, and I think that that then becomes this model. When we talk about workforce models or workforce of the future, fully distributed workforces, even though we knew it was coming, they are right here. And then then add in the AI, add in the skills assessment, add in all of these pieces. And it changes the evolution of the workforce completely. I think it's gonna push leaders to be thoughtful in saying, five years ago, we hired this way. And today we need to hire this way or we need to source Mm -hmm. talent this way and and i think that we're so comfortable having done it before i think the hr space is going to have to really step up its game and it, and we are doing so but i think we're really going to have to step up even more and dive deeper into the digital transformation i you know a lot of hr professionals are not close to the tech stack we need to be close to the tech stack you got to understand the systems Right, You got to understand the HRIS, but then how they talk to each other and what's building on top. So if you have a system that doesn't have an LMS or that does not have all these things in it, how are you now advocating to get closer to what that education looks like? One of the things that I think is a superpower of mine is that I understand the technology. I understand the people so that when I go work for a tech company or when I go interview, right? When I'm talk to the chief product officer or the chief engineering officer, I can say to them, I understand the technology behind this. So you can actually talk to me about your product. Then I can have a thoughtful business conversation. It makes the value of what I'm going to do when I say, we got to structure your team the right way because you don't have what you need. Then they go, okay, I hear you, Kim, because you understand what it is that I'm doing and you understand the product that I'm building. And I just think HR has not had enough of that access. To be able to do that, but we got to advocate for the why behind that. Because if I can't be a student in the business, then you're not going to trust me to help
0: build your business. Correct, absolutely. <laughs> Having HR professionals sitting in the room at the top table, helping with the business strategy, helps the business. Indeed. I I, I was I couldn't agree with that more. Um, I was also thinking about a couple of things that you were saying about, you know, you worked at Zoom for, and you never actually met anyone. That's unbelievable, isn't it? Well, you met you met people every single day. Every day. It's um, so, so like, Fancy working for a company for, you know, I, I, I had a, an individual working for me who I spoke to every day, but he was in he was in the US, never met him face to face. When I did meet him, I couldn't believe it, he was six foot seven. I always thought <laughs> right. he was about five foot four. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> yes. And, and, and another thing that you were saying was how... We don't know what the jobs are gonna be in existence tomorrow. You know, you're a mom, you've got a son. When you have conversations with him about what it's gonna be when he grows up, we don't know because we don't know what those jobs are gonna be yet, do we? You no. Know,
1: people ask me that all the time. They're like, what does everyone wanna be when he grows up? And I yeah. say, I don't know, because the, whatever he decides to do, unless he's going to medical school, dental school, he's gonna be a firefighter, yeah. something along those lines, right? But even the, let's say he wants to be the fi- a firefighter, even the firefighting truck that he drives might be electric by the time Correct. that he drives it. And it might drive it from his right. bedroom. Exa- right. Yes. And it may require a completely different set of skills. He may not even have to live in a firehouse. He may be able to get activated or access right. it from somewhere. Who knows what it's going to be. So, whatever he does, the way it looks today, he's only nine, right? But the way it looks by the time that he's 18, the other thing is, I'm also prepared for him to not go to college, which sounds Crazy, But if we talk about skills and we talk about exposure, he may say, mom, I don't want to go to college. We have to acknowledge that perhaps that core four model may not be for everybody any longer. He may say, I want to go to a two year school and then I want to go do an internship somewhere. And that's where his immersion is. And he may gain enough of those skills now. And, and I'm listen, I'm an advocate for education. I have a master's degree. I think education is wonderful if that's what a person's choice is. I'm just fully prepared as I watch the world evolve to know that that might not be what my child chooses or children of Gen Alpha, because that's what he is, right? Gen Alpha are going to do. And so by the time, you know, he's 17, or excuse me, he's um, 19, right, in 10 years, and I'm 10 years older than I am, and I'll be in my 50s by then, right? Who knows what it is that he's going to be doing? So I don't even ask him, and people go, he doesn't know what he wants to do, and I'm like, I'm okay with that because where's the world going to be
0: then? I have four children, Kim, and the thought of four children going to college makes me think I'm going to have to work until I'm 150. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but a lot of companies now, they're not actually even – Recognizing someone's educational background at the moment, so I, th- I think the the buying behavior of organizations is changing significantly. Um, mm-hmm. Do you need Do you need to go to college, university to get that top job? Uh, maybe from a all round experience perspective, but but not necessarily from uh, what what the companies are looking for
1: mm-hmm. tomorrow. You're saying companies take that requirement out of the job description. Yeah. To our conversation yeah. earlier about skills and it. It is per- potentially preferred but not required, um, and it's encouraging for people. People's lives take so many different turns. Education may not be the thing, but that doesn't mean that they're not exposed to the skills or that right. they can't
0: gain them. So skills, skills more than anything else. That's where it's going. Let's 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 if you're going to go back hour and just have a conversation with your eighteen-year-old self, what would you say from a career yeah. standpoint? Any yeah. advice you give yourself?
1: Yeah, do it afraid first, right? Yeah. Which means to use the voice, the bravery we talked about. Yeah. Um, be the boss of your own blueprint, which is my tagline, which is go where there's opportunity and not where it necessarily it's safe. And then raise your hand for what um, it is that you want. And, um, right, say yes. <laughs> you know, I... I say yes even if you don't know how to do it just yes and will you teach me or yes and how do I start whatever that looks like saying yes got me to some of the most fantastic experiences Um, and I can only think about had I said no to myself or to those experiences so do it afraid be the boss of your own blueprint and absolutely say yes
0: right well congratulations on your career so far thank you thank you for coming on to talk to me Um, I really appreciate it Um, And I look forward to following you and your career over the next few years.
1: Thank you so much, Nick.
0: Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this latest edition of the Behind the Resume podcast. If you found the conversation interesting or insightful, please share with your colleagues and networks as it will help us grow the podcast. Also, hit subscribe if you'd like to be notified when future episodes of the podcast are released. Alternatively, you can also follow the RTS People LinkedIn page to be informed of all podcast related information as well as ways you can get involved. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.